So I wanna take you this morning to John chapter 20. You can turn there if you want. You can get out your phone. Title of my message today is You Are God's Beloved Child. And this is gonna be a very different Easter message than uh, what you would typically hear, what we've preached before, but so fitting for where we are. So we're gonna start in verse 11, but what I wanna do is I want to give some context to where we find ourselves at in this moment in time in John chapter 20. And Jesus has been crucified. His body laid in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb for three days. Sunday morning, Mary and some other ladies make their way to the tomb to care for the body of Jesus. And when they arrive at the tomb, they notice the stone has been moved. And immediately they turn around and they run back to tell Peter and John what they have encountered. The stone is gone. The body is gone. They've taken it. So immediately John and Peter, they take off And John outruns Peter, and he gets to the tomb first, and he just kind of stands at the entrance of the tomb, and he looks inside, and he sees no body. He sees the burial cloths that that Jesus was wrapped in, but he notices they're still in the same condition that they would have been if they were still wrapped. It was almost like, Jesus' body had just vanished. It wasn't as though someone came and stole his body and the burial claws were kind of thrown all throughout the, uh, the tomb. They were still in the place they would have been if they were wrapped around the body of Christ. They hadn't moved. They hadn't been touched. I like this. I read this in studying. Jesus left everything pertaining to the old creation in the tomb. Everything. So they run back and tell Peter and John, and John is standing at the outside of the tomb, peering in. And of course, Peter, if it's gonna be any disciple, it's gonna be Peter. He just runs right on past John, right into the tomb to see for himself up close. And there's no body. The body has vanished. And the word says that in that moment, they realized what Jesus said when he said, I must suffer and die. I'll be dead for three days and then I will rise again. So they left, they returned home puzzled by what they saw, just trying to understand and make sense of it all. This was their Lord. They had lived with Jesus day in and day out for the last three years. They saw him do amazing and mighty miracles and now he's gone and they don't know where he is and they're trying to make sense of everything that's happening. And so we pick up the story. Remember, Mary is the one who went and told them, and I'm sure Peter and John took off, and Mary is trying to keep up with them, but she just can't keep up with the two disciples. And we pick up in verse 11. This is on the screens out of the New Living Translation. Mary was standing outside of the tomb crying, so she's made her way back to the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. See, even Mary still doesn't realize what has happened. She thinks somebody took the body. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. 
Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Do you know what? Mary couldn't see Jesus at first because she wasn't expecting to see Jesus. How often do we miss Jesus because we're not expecting to see him? How often do we miss the miracle because we're not holding on to the promise? We're not expecting him. Oh, it's a nice thought, but I doubt it'll happen. And so we don't expect Jesus to fulfill his word. We don't expect to encounter him, and so we miss it. Just like Mary, she's looking right at him, and she still can't see him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Find it incredible that the first person Jesus appeared to as the resurrected Christ was Mary. Why didn't he appear to Peter and John? John was the beloved. And I think, remember, when Jesus encountered Mary, he set her free from seven demons. And you know what I think? I think this is prophetic. I think this is prophetic of Eve's Redemption, long-awaited redemption. You see, Eve was the first to believe the deception of the enemy, and Mary was the first to believe in the resurrected Christ. And I think this is a redemption story right here, Jesus appearing to a woman and saying, I'm alive. I'm your savior. My father is now your father. And she believed in his words, and she was transformed in that moment. From the first moment of brokenness to the first moment of restoration. You see, Jesus, he was intentional. Every moment he had, he was intentional. He didn't waste a moment. And he's emphasizing something here that is so very important. Remember, this is Jesus' very first conversation as the resurrected Christ. So this is important. And in his very first conversation with someone as the resurrected Christ, he's trying to make a point. He's emphasizing something important. And we cannot miss what Jesus says here. Otherwise, we, most, we miss most of the impact of the Easter story. He says in verse 17, go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Do you know this is the first time in the book of John that Jesus refers to his disciples as brothers? They were servants, they were friends, they were stubborn sometimes, disobedient, but never did Jesus ever refer to them as brothers until this very moment when he's speaking to Mary. He says, hey, go tell my brothers what you have seen and experienced, give them my message. A, this is a completely new level of relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Everything has now changed and he now calls them brothers. They're a part of his family. 
also, and here's what I really want to focus in on today, Jesus emphasized he's not only ascending to his father, but who? Our father. This is how the Passion Translation puts it. Verse 17, it's on the screen. And he's not only my father and God, he's talking to Mary here, but now he's your father and your God. Now go tell my brothers and tell them what I've told you, that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Anytime Jesus is repetitive, it's important. My father, your father. My God, your God. This is the first time we are invited into an intimate relationship with God as Father. Everything has changed. R.C. Sproul, he says, there were appropriate forms of address that were used by Jewish people in the Old Testament, and the term Father was not among them. The first Jewish rabbi to call God Father directly was who? Jesus of Nazareth. He was the first Jewish rabbi to ever refer to God directly as Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. An amazing thing to think about is that through the resurrection, the Trinity became our family. Through the resurrection, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit became our family. Jesus is now our brother. God is now our father. Can you think of a, ma- a more amazing thing than that? It's, a, it, it's incredible. It's beyond words. The separation that ripped us from walking with the father in the garden has now been restored by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have been forgiven and set free. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer bound. You have been set free. You are a son and a daughter. Do you believe it? Through grace, we are given the same glory that Jesus has. Separation is an illusion. Go to Hebrews chapter two, starting in verse 10. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. Listen to this. So now, the ones he makes holy have the same father. We've been talking, we've we've just come out of a holiness series. We have been made holy, we have been made sanctified, washed clean by the blood of Jesus We are no longer sinners saved by grace. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not a sinner anymore, church. You're a saint. You have been made holy. You're sanctified. And it says right here again in Hebrews, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus feels no shame when he looks at you. He's not embarrassed by you. Even when you mess up, even when you fall, he doesn't turn his face away like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they just did that. I can't, I can't even look at them right now. I'm, they're such an embarrassment to me. 
You know, Jesus has never had that thought in his mind when he looks at you. He has never been ashamed of you. He's not disappointed in you. You are his beloved child. He loves you. His opinion of you can't change depending on what you do and what you don't do. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are sanctified. You are made holy. You are raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. You're not a chicken. What are you? You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. You're an eagle. If you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, um, kind of our slogan at Lifeway has become Eagle Up. And it comes from a story that we shared a few weeks ago. There was a chicken who received a letter telling him that if he believed, this chicken's name was Will, by the way, Will the chicken, and if Will believed he could become an eagle, he would become an eagle. And what did Will do? He believed. And Will was transformed immediately into an eagle. But Will didn't realize that he had become an eagle. So he lived his life thinking he was a chicken, pecking at the ground, living as chickens do, not soaring like eagles. Until one day an eagle eventually flew over the chicken coop and he looks down and he sees Will, the eagle, acting as a chicken. And he says, what are you doing? You're an eagle. You're not a chicken. Come up higher and soar. And that translates to who we are so often that we still believe we're sinners. We don't understand the inheritance that we have been given as sons and daughters, that we have been created to soar on wings as eagles, the word of God says. Come up higher. And so eagle up is what we've been calling out in each other. And there's no one in this room that can do it better than Sean Patterson, right? Okay, Sean, we need you to do it for us, man. There we go. If only we would believe that about ourselves and call out that destiny in other people. Stop making the excuses of, oh, I'm just human. No, you're not. Oh, it's just my nature. No, you got a new nature. It's his nature now. And my favorite, it's just not my personality. <laughs> I, I am the king of using that. Eagle up. Call it out. Call it out of yourself. Call it out of others. You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. You are the righteousness of Christ. You have been set free. Soar. Through grace, we are given the same glory that Jesus has. Go to Romans chapter eight. This is on the screens as well. Starting in verse 14. This is so powerful. I'm gonna read this out of the Passion Translation. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Read it again. I want every eye on this screen. 
and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Come out of the grave. Let go of the chains. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance or the spirit of sonship enfolding you into the family of God. Listen to me. The spirit of sonship in Roman culture in that day when you were adopted, the adopted person, you lost all rights of your old family. You legally no longer belonged to your old family and you lost all the rights and privileges of your old family. And you now gained all of the rights of a legitimate child of your new family. You became a full heir to your father's estate. You became a full heir to your father's estate. You belong now to a new family. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father, Abba father, what most translations use there. The term Abba is an Aramaic word for father. It is also used for devotion, a term of endearment like daddy or papa. As Jesus, when he cried out in the garden of Gethsemane, father, father, Abba, Abba, if it be any other way, please let this cup pass from me. He's crying out to his daddy. It is hard to imagine a closer relationship to have with God than to call him Abba. Intimacy. Everything comes out of that place of intimacy with our father, closeness with him. Every day. Go to verse 16. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. We are joint heirs with Christ. Nothing in the Bible could be more amazing than this. Grace has made former rebels into princes and princesses, royal ones who share in the inheritance of Christ. You are royalty. You are kings and kings of the kings and queens of the kingdom. He's, his grace has turned former rebels into a prince, into a princess. You've been transformed all because of the resurrection. Everything that we are, everything that we believe is built upon the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus. How many of you have ever seen or read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel? So the premise of this, in this true events, this happened, it's nonfiction, is Lee's wife became a Christian and Lee himself was an atheist and struggled immensely with the reality that his wife is now a believer in Jesus because he thinks it's an absolute load of nonsense. And so he makes it his life mission to talk her out of her faith. 
and he's talking to a colleague of his, and his colleague says to him, well, Lee, if you're going to take on this assignment, if you're going to try to disprove the faith of Christianity, you need to zone in on the resurrection of Jesus because if you can disprove the resurrection, everything else becomes a house of cards because everything that we believe is built upon the foundation, not of the death of Jesus, but of the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope, our life, all that we are, that is the foundation. We are joint heirs with him. We have been raised up with Christ. We were co-crucified, the word says, and we are also co-glorified with him. It's an amazing, amazing reality. Galatians 4, verses six through seven. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Since you are his child, you have become an heir to rule and reign with Christ. Heirs in the kingdom, raised up and seated in heavenly places. You're an eagle. You've been transformed. And it's time to leave the chicken coop and soar. It's time to step into the inheritance that was bought and paid for by Jesus through his death and his resurrection. There's more. We gotta step into it. We have to take him at his word and believe everything that he said. Believe the reality that we are who he says we are. Every single word he spoke is true. And it's possible. And he will equip you to do it to step into your destiny as sons and daughters. But you have to believe. You have to believe. We are not a kingdom of orphans. You're not an orphan. You are his beloved children, his heirs, and he longs for you to call out to him. It's what we just read. You are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. His spirit intercedes within us and whispers to us, you are God's beloved child and prompts us to call out, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need you. And he's there every time. He is, believe me, he is longing for you probably more than you are longing for him. He desires a relationship with you more than you could ever imagine. He longs to hear your voice more than you could ever know. He longs for you to be real with him through intimacy, he's calling out. Through Christ, we have access to everything our Father has. This is the last scripture I have for you, Ephesians 1, verse three. All praise to God. I gotta say this, um, many of you already know this, but Ephesians was written while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. I've been to that prison cell. Leslie and I spent time in Paul's prison cell in Rome. And to think that he wrote the book of Ephesians, one of the most encouraging, uplifting epistles that Paul ever wrote, standing in the atmosphere of a prison cell, which wasn't like a cell like we think it was. It was basically the sewer system that ran through Rome. It was a dungeon. It was a cold, dark, damp cellar. And these words come out of that place. 
How many of you know our joy is not dependent on our external circumstances in Jesus? Our peace is not found in our external circumstances. What's happening, what's swirling around us sometime, our peace is found in Jesus. And Paul writes these words as he's sitting imprisoned in Rome. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I just said, through Christ, we have access to everything our Father has. The storehouses of heaven are at your disposal. He's given you everything. You lack nothing in him. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because you are one with Jesus. You are as he is. Your daddy, he doesn't leave you without. He gives you everything. Everything that is his is yours. It's your inheritance. Step into your inheritance through faith. We have been united with Christ. There's a very important word in this verse. Who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Is that what it says? Who has blessed us with most spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms? Is that what it says? You gotta help me out. I'm a little tired, so my reading may not be right on, but I'm pretty sure that word says every spiritual blessing. So why do you doubt? Why do you fear? Why do you fear not having enough? Why do you fear not being enough? When through Christ, you are made whole. You are one with him and he has given you every single blessing in the spiritual realm. There's nothing else. He's given it all to you. God's not holding anything back. He's not saying, oh, no, you know what? I'm gonna hold on to this, but you can have this, this, and this. He says, no, I'm giving you everything I got. Everything that I am is yours. Even Jesus, when he prayed in John 17, he said, Father, give them all the glory you gave me. I'm giving it to them. Separation is an illusion. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Listen to me. Your sin in Christ cannot separate you from the love of Jesus. You are his. He is yours. And that, that reality will never change. He loves you that much. Because of the resurrection, there is no barrier between us and the Father. Nothing can separate you from his love. His love is drawing you in. You can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. You can enter into the throne room. You have access. Do you know what happened if someone was not granted permission in the Old Testament times, if you were not granted permission to approach the king, to enter into his courts, and you did it without receiving an invitation, do you know what would happen? Read Esther. Guess what? The same thing is true. If you step into God's presence outside of Christ, the word of God says you can't stand in his presence. We see it in the Old Testament, someone who would enter in the presence or touch the Ark of the Covenant that held the presence of God, they died. Only the, the high priest was granted access one day a year to step into the Holy of Holies, to dwell within the very presence of the living God. And guess what? Through Jesus, 
through his death and resurrection, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer courts was torn. We now have full access to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God. And even a greater reality than that, the word says the Holy of Holies lives within you. Separation is an illusion. The kingdom is within you. You lack nothing. You have been fully equipped, fully given everything that you need to live a life of godliness. That's what we talked about last Sunday. Believe it. You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. It's time to soar. Take hold of this. Receive it. He's calling you higher. You are his beloved child. So where does this begin? This is all great, Travis. Good job. Sounds wonderful. How do I start? Where do I start at? Surrender. Surrender is where it begins. Listen, the, the, the cross is your starting point. It's not the destination. If we, if we stop at the cross, we're gonna miss almost everything that Jesus died to give us. I love how one lady puts it. She says, the Holy Spirit is the crescendo of the cross. That's where we go. We soar through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. You start at the cross, surrender. The word says in Galatians 2.20 that you have been co-crucified with Jesus. Listen, Jesus did not die for you. Don't fire me. Jesus did not die for you. That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Come on, somebody knows it. He didn't die for you, he died as you. It's in the Bible, it's there. He not only died for you, he died as you. You were co-crucified. I have crucified the flesh. It starts at surrender. By grace, through faith in Jesus alone. Salvation is a free gift. If a gift is really a gift, do you have to earn it? I hate those kind of gifts. It's not really a gift, is it? No. If you have to earn it, or if you have to pay for it, it's not really a gift. Salvation is a free gift. The life that Jesus has called you to and created you for is a free gift. It is by grace through faith in Jesus alone that you get to enter into this life. Jesus is looking into your face. Imagine this. Imagine Jesus standing right in front of you. And he's looking into your face just like when he created Adam and Eve. Can you imagine? You open your eyes and the very first thing you see is the eyes of Jesus looking into your eyes, the eyes of the Father looking into your eyes. It's what Alex saw on Wednesday when he opened his eyes. For the first time, he saw the eyes of the Father looking into his eyes. He's looking into your face this morning, all of us, and gently inviting you into a relationship that will flip your world upside right. He's inviting you. He's not forcing you. He is gentle and humble, and he is inviting you into a relationship that will change your world forever. You will never be the same. My father, your father, is a love invitation for you to just take him at his word and trust him. Trust him. Step into your inheritance as a son and a daughter. Receive what he has won.
receive what he has won today. He's, he's giving it to you. Take that step of faith and trust and say, God, I believe you. Whether you may have never accepted the love of Jesus before or maybe you have been a believer for years but you haven't fully stepped into the inheritance as a son and as a daughter. Listen to me, I'm in my mid-30s and it has not been until the last couple years for Leslie and I both that we have began to truly realize who we are and step into the full revelation of the gospel what Jesus truly did and the access we truly have through our Lord. And there's still so much further to go, but I know for most of my life, I had not understood and lived in that place of freedom and power. And we're growing and we're maturing and we're learning more every day who we are as sons and daughters. Listen, before you are anything else, Rick, before you are anything else, you're a son, right? Before you are anything else, you're a son and a daughter. That is your identity in Christ. It's not what you do. It's not your job. It's not your money. It's not your family. It's not any of those things. Your greatest accomplishments, listen, they're like filthy rags. That's great. But if your identity is built upon those things, it is a matter of time before you have an identity crisis. Your identity is found in being a son and a daughter of the king. And when your identity is found in that, nothing can shake you. Nothing can shake that foundation. You can be at death's door, lying in a bed, knowing there are moments left, and you are still just as strong and steadfast as you were the very moment you said, Jesus, I want to live for you. That is the hope that we have. The word of God says this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. This hope is not a disappointing fantasy. It is real and it is strong and it is life-giving and it will carry you through the strongest, most unbearable storm you could ever walk through. He is that real and he is that good. Receive what he has won. Depression will no longer bury you. Past sins will no longer haunt you. It is finished. It has been finished. The curse is broken. Your old bloodline died at the cross and you've been given a brand new nature. Isn't that good? Your old bloodline died at the cross and you have been given a brand new nature. So we, uh, we received a pretty amazing testimony this week. Uh, some of you may not even even known the, the fullest extent of, of what was happening in Chuck and Kim's life, but um, I want Chuck, he didn't know I was doing this, I'm putting him on the spot, so give him grace. But um, we are, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, and there's something you need to hear this morning. Um, two years ago, I was diagnosed with chronic lip, lymphocytic leukemia, so for the last couple of years, I've been going to a blood doctor, and my numbers was going up, down, up, and down. Well, this week, I went, and he was amazed. He said, your blood's perfect. He said, you're in the normal ranges. He said, I don't know what you're doing. I said, well, it's a lot of prayer. I said, a lot of prayer. He said, 
I can't believe it. I said, well, that's good. He said, no, that's great. He said, <laughs> he said everything is nothing in the red. He said, so you're good to go. No cancer. Come on. Yeah. We're going to see it. Yeah. When, when I was diagnosed, it was probably, I don't know, it might have been the first Sunday after that or the second. Maxine Hupp got a word from the Lord. And she, all, all it said was, if you ask, I will heal you. And I took that for me. And the day has come. He healed me. Amen. If you ask. I seem to remember somebody pretty reliable saying, ask and you shall receive. I'm pretty sure whoever said that knew what they were talking about. It may have been Jesus. Seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open. I don't think he said ask and you might receive. Knocking the door might be open. Seeking, maybe if, if you look hard enough and you spend all of your life, maybe you might find it, maybe, maybe. <laughs> ask and you will receive. You will receive a brand new bloodline, new DNA spiritual DNA because guess what you have a new family you have a new father your brothers and sisters of Christ his blood is flowing through your veins <laughs> it's funny my next line in my notes when you believe in him and receive the finished work of Christ just like Mary you are changed you are raised to new life Happy Resurrection Day. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Eagle up. Get ready to soar. You get to live your life from heaven's perspective. Come up higher. Come up higher. It's what the Father is saying to you today. You're his beloved child. This is the Easter story. This is why he came, why he died, and why he was resurrected, to grant us access into the Holy of Holies, to live in that place, to live in the identity of being a son and a daughter, brothers and sisters of Jesus, redeemed and transformed. This is the Christian life. Don't believe anything else. It's not a life of rules. It's not a life of striving. It's not a life of just trying to be good enough and trying to do good enough. If I do enough good things, then I may get into heaven when I die. I hope I do. No. That is a lie. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. What you have heard today is the gospel. The gospel is good news. 
How is it good news if you have to spend your life earning something, striving to be good enough and do good enough? That's not good news. Good news is everything you need has already been done. It's already been won for you. You ask and you receive. It's as simple as that. Do you believe that today? So here's what I wanna do. What time is it? All right. It's time to go. But I wanna give an opportunity this morning. If anyone is in this room and you have not accepted Jesus or you need to recommit your life this morning, I'm gonna ask you in a moment to simply raise your hand, but everyone else's eyes in the room are going to be wide open because I think one of the most dangerous things the church has done is use the phrase with every head bowed and every eye closed. So the only way you can step into a life in Christ is if no one else is looking. That doesn't even make sense. Like Jesus, okay, but kind of like Nicodemus, right? Coming to him at night, you didn't want anyone else to know. Absolutely not. This is the most amazing decision you will ever make in your life. You need the church. You need brothers and sisters around you, supporting you, lifting you up. There's no shame in this decision. There's nothing to feel guilty about. There's nothing to be afraid of. You are stepping into the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. You are receiving your inheritance. And this would all be a waste if we did not give this opportunity this morning to know the love of the Father, to receive the finished work of Jesus that he paid for. It's yours. Come home, get ready to soar. You're about to leave the chicken coop into a life that you could have never dreamed of for yourself. So if you want to know and experience him as your Lord and savior, the Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You don't need to repeat anything after Travis. He wants to hear your words, not my words. This is your moment. So anyone in the room today, you say, this is my moment. I'm giving him my life either for the very first time or I am recommitting my life to Jesus right now with every eye open in the room. If there's anyone in the room who says, yes, I want you to raise your hand right now. This is my moment. I don't see any hands. We got one hand. Hmm. Are there any others? One is enough. None would be great wouldn't be a problem. That means everyone in here, we're going to heaven. We're living the abundant life. And listen, if you didn't raise your hand, it doesn't really make any difference, guys. It's not about raising your hand. It's not about coming down to the altar. It's about what you are doing in this moment because we're gonna pray. 
and this is your opportunity. And if you didn't raise your hand and you gave your life to Jesus, please come and see me. Uh, you can come see uh, you know, Bradley or Troy, any of our board members, Mary, uh, Angel in the back, and Mark, where are you at, Mark? Right there. Uh, pastor Scott, is he in the room? Our youth pastor, back in the way back. Any of these guys, these are our leaders and we trust them fully. If you've given your life to Jesus, you need to come to one of us so that we know, so that we can partner with you together as you begin your life in Christ. Would we all stand up this morning? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for what you are doing. I thank you for your sacrifice. The word says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We are your joy. You look into our eyes and joy floods your heart, Father. You're not ashamed, you're not embarrassed. You're proud. Your heart fills with joy when you look at your kids. And right now, all of heaven is rejoicing because we had someone in the room today that said, I wanna come home. I wanna come home. You have bought and paid for everything that we need. You have given us every spiritual blessing, every heavenly blessing. We lack nothing. We are your sons and we are your daughters. Abba, Father, we love you. We thank you for what you, you're doing. I thank you, God, for the miracle in Chuck's life, the healing in his body. It is your promise and it is available to every single person. We're gonna see it happen more and more and more and more and it's for your glory. It's for your glory, God. I thank you for your church. I thank you for the transformation and the revival that's taking place in our cities. Do it again, Lord. This is your day. We praise you, Jesus. We lift your name high. And when we do, all men will be drawn to you. So continue to draw men and women. Your kindness is what draws us. Your love is what draws us. Continue drawing us. Continue shaping and transforming us. We are no longer chickens and turkeys. We are eagles. And we are leaving the chicken coop. And we are soaring with you in heavenly places. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, happy Resurrection Day, Lifeway.